Our scripture reading this morning is an account, it's John's account of the Last Supper. It's not usually a January reading, so uh, hopefully it'll find you with fresh ears. Listen. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that, he had, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel. After he had washed their feet and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the people, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. If you hadn't already guessed, in my family, I'm the crybaby. I know in our current age of self-actualization, that's probably not so bad, but... I can assure you that when I was a kid, it wasn't a brand that I was promoting. (laughs) The first time I remember getting me into trouble was when I was eight years old. I was watching this made-for-TV movie called Brian's Song. Uh, About an NFL NFL running back who gets cancer and dies, and um, oh, I I just lost it. Um, And, of course, I didn't want anyone to know, so I was like, there's something in my eye. Uh, But I don't think anyone was was too fooled. As an adult, the movie that's always gotten me is The Green Mile. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Uh, If you haven't, you may not have cable, because it's been on TNT like 800 times. Uh, It's a story of a man named John Coffey, who is uh, wrongly convicted of murdering two young children and then sentenced to death. Uh, The movie takes place when he's on death row. That's what the Green Mile is referring to. And John Coffey is this very thinly veiled Christ figure, right? Even his initials, right, JC. He's kind of a wanderer, illiterate. He's operating on the margins of society. Uh, And if you don't know him, you're probably afraid of him. But if you do know him, you love him, right? He's like pure good. Uh, And he can do stuff like heal people and see the future and all that good stuff. The part of the movie that always gets my waterwork going is the night before he dies. Um, Some of the guards who at that point are very... Um, you know, again, in love with them, say, like, okay, what can we do for you? What's, you know, this is your last night. And 
he says, oh, I've never, I've never seen a motion picture. I'd like to see one of those. This takes place during the Depression, so those are the words they're using. So they smuggle in this reel-to-reel movie of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers in Top Hat. And they put the movie on, and they start dancing, and he starts, John Poppy starts crying, and the guards start crying, and, like, how am I to resist all that? (laughs) So you're probably wondering, like, hey, John, why are we even talking about this? Um, And I think it's because I was rereading the gospel story of the Last Supper, and I was noticing this, like, complete disconnect between my reaction to the Green Mile and my reaction to the Last Supper, right? The Green Mile for me is like pure emotion. It's all about the drama. The Last Supper, I don't know, like maybe from when I was a kid, has been hijacked by that analytical, rational part of my brain that's like, wait, hold on. The bread and wine get transformed into the body and blood and like, what? Like, how does that work? Right, I've been caught up in the mystery of it, in the miracle of it, in the theology, in the divinity. And that's good, right? That's part of the story. That's an important part. But we know that Jesus was both divine and human, right? And he wasn't half one or half the other or sometimes divine and sometimes human. He was fully divine and fully human. So if you're not paying attention to the humanity of that story, like me, we're missing something, right? There's shared humanity there. There's drama. Now, it may not be an accident that this all came up this year for me, because in November I turned 60. And even though I'm not breaking any news here, I am getting a little closer to my own Last Supper, right? We all are. And there's something about that idea that really focuses the mind, right? That um, makes us think about what's really important. Who's really important, right? It's it's, um, like that saying, uh, live like you're dying. Or, uh, I mean, of course, the bucket list, right? The bucket list is what we we do. I love bucket Like I'm interested in your bucket list. I'm like a bucket list nerd. Um, but I'm reading the gospel. I'm like, okay, this is Jesus' bucket list, right? He's got one day left. This is what he thought was important. This is who he thought was important. So I want to look at that today. I'm going to take three threads out of that and play it back for us. And we can think a little bit about what that means in our lives. So here's the first thread. On the one day when any of us would be excused for thinking about ourselves, right? Like, why is this happening to me? What's happening to me? When is it going to happen to me? On the one day when it would just be all about like me, me, me. Jesus completely flips the script. He gets on his knees and he washes the feet of the apostles, right? He's the, he's the teacher taking care of the students, the master serving the servants. It's not Jesus looking in, it's looking out. 
I'm not a mental health expert. I'm sure most of you guys aren't either. But I think it's pretty clear by now that our, our society, our culture's near constant inward-looking gaze is literally making us sick, right? It's killing us. We're comparing our real lives to the pretend lives of the people around us, and it's not making us feel better. I mean, I, I know this has probably always been going on. When I was growing up, I was comparing my real life to Michael Jordan's pretend life. <laughs> but at some level, like, that's so unreal, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, now we're comparing our real lives to the pretend lives of our friends and our coworkers and the people we live near, went to school with, right? We're comparing our real lives to their vacations and dinners and houses and cars and all that kind of stuff. We know a lot more about happiness than we used to know. And one of the things that we know is that our happiness has a lot less to do with our absolute level of stuff and a lot more to do with our perception of our relative sense, right? Our relative status. Where do I stand compared to the Joneses? I think even our sort of national political divisiveness has something to do with that, right? It's the other, right? They have undue political power, or they have undue cultural power, or they're the global elites, or the deplorables, or whatever it is. I mean, by the time you start using those words, guaranteed you're not happy. Jesus models something entirely different, right? He gets on his knees and helps someone else. And here's the crazy thing. All that science happiness, uh, happiness science that I was talking about before, we know now that at least one of the things that's guaranteed to make you happier is to help somebody else, right? It's like the science catching up with, with Jesus on this one. It's not to say that the problems of our world aren't real and they're not big. It's just that maybe what we're supposed to do is get on our knees and help someone right in front of us, help the person we can help. Because if we all did that, it would change the world. Don't look in, look out. That's our first, first thread. Here's our second. So Jesus uses the Last Supper as the occasion to introduce a new commandment, right? The love commandment. We're supposed to love one another like he has loved us. Now, if you're like me, you're probably like, wait, hold on. Haven't we gotten this before? This doesn't seem new at this point, like on the last day. And I think if you're thinking that, you're right. This isn't a new commandment because the content is new. This is a new commandment because... The context is new, right? This is Jesus in his final moments. And I want all of you to think about, like, okay, I'm in my final moments. I'm surrounded by the people that matter most to me, my friends, my family. Of course, you'll be thinking about a lot about yourself, but you're also going to be worried about them, right? You're going to be like, oh, my God, are they going to be okay without me? Like, what's going to happen to them? Are they going to be safe? Are they going to be taken care of? What's going to, ha- what's going to happen to them? And at least for me, the number one thing I think of is, oh, they'll be okay if they love one another. 
right, if they take care of each other. This is like spoiler alert for my two kids. Like on my deathbed, I'm getting the promise that they're going to love each other and take care of their mother. That's for sure. It's just that I don't think Jesus is limiting the context exactly the way I did. It's clearly something much broader for him. I think Jesus is saying something like, hey, you know what? You'll be a lot safer, not if you are, uh, you got something in your nightstand in case you hear a noise outside. You'll be safer if you're friends with all of your neighbors, right? You'll be safer not if you've stored food in your basement. You'll be safer if everyone in your community is well-fed. Like safety, security, taking care of this, these aren't things that I can do. These aren't things that I control. These are only things that love controls. These are only things that love can do, that we can do together. That's our second thread Love one another. Here's the third plot twist. It's not about Jesus. It's about the apostles. I think it's pretty clear from our scripture today that Jesus knows exactly what's going on, right? He knows the importance of this moment. He knows that this is his last time with the apostles. But it's not so clear that they do. Uh, I left some parts out. You'll, you'll recognize that that wasn't the full reading of the Last Supper. I left out things like <clears throat> Peter not letting Jesus wash his feet. I left out the argument the apostles had about who is the greatest. Of course, I left out the entire betrayal. And then I left out Peter's denial of his denial. Right? You get the sense that Jesus is hurting cats here. But if the apostles don't know what's you know, sort of the importance of that moment, that this is their last time with Jesus, that's a whole lot like real life. I mean, there's things that we do for the last time and we know it, right? Like, this is my last day of school, or this is my last day of vacation, or my last mortgage payment, or my last day of work, right? Those are the things that are in our calendar. Those, that's what we know. But there's a whole bunch of other things, maybe even more, that we do for the last time, and we only know in hindsight. We only know when we look back on it. I want to thank uh, Bill Urban and Sam Harris for turning me on to this, but I've got a great example of it, which was um, last year I was a very bad husband, and it was Kathleen's birthday, and I went away on a boys' weekend. So Kathleen was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go home and visit my parents. So uh, Kathleen, you know, makes, makes her plans. And she's got one sister, uh, Amy. And when Amy found out that Kathleen was going home, she said, I'm going to go home too. So uh, they both go back. The, they sit down for dinner uh, on Friday night, the four of them. And they say to themselves, oh, my God, we haven't had dinner, just the four of us, in more than 30 years And I can guarantee you that when they got up from that dinner table 30 years ago, they weren't saying to themselves, like, oh, this is the last time, right? They were like, oh, yeah, I got to go, like, tomorrow I have to go to the post office, and, you know, Wednesday I go, like, right? We've we've got stuff. We don't think that way. But this time, right, this dinner, they knew 
right? This dinner, they realize this could be the last time or that this is something so rare. And that made, that made all the difference. Even, even things that we don't necessarily love have a different feel if we know we're doing it for the last time. As you know, my kids are like 22 and 20, so I can't exactly remember the last time that I got up in the middle of the night to soothe them. I'm sure I was tired and probably a little cranky. But what, what would I give to go back? Go back to that moment, right? As you parents probably know, there, there comes a time when things flip and your kids go to bed after you do. Kathleen uh, <laughs> and I used to joke, we'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh, let's go down and see, you know, survey the damage. Like, what, what happened after we went to bed? And look, um, it's all good. Uh, but invariably, if my son is home, like, there will be an ice cream scoop in the sink. Um, not just in the sink, but like nozzle into the garbage disposal, sticking out like a sundial. <laughs> and I'm sure I could say something to him, and he'd put it in the dishwasher and do all that. But he's 20 years old. He's not going to be doing this for that much longer. There's going to be a last time, and it doesn't need to be any sooner. I was thinking about all of this, uh, and I was trying to think of how to describe it to you guys. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to call it the last time mindset. Right? It's how you would feel, how you would be if you knew you were doing something for the last time. I think you'd be so present, right? So alive to that moment. You'd be so grateful, so thankful. You'd savor it. I was trying this out on myself um, at the Talmadge Hill Christmas concert. I think many of you may know. Um, the Christmas concert is kind of the highlight of our, at least in my, my mind, it's the highlight of our music program for the year. Um, of course, Kathleen is a major part of that. And so every year, this is something I really look forward to. So um, this year, I was like, okay, hold on, what if this were the last time? What if, this, what if this was my last time at the Christmas concert? What if this were her last time singing? So I go in, I sit down in the front row, I start listening, Kathleen starts singing, and I start crying. <laughs> and I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because it was beautiful. I don't know if that was my last Christmas concert at Town Hill. I don't know if it was hers. I don't know if this was my last Christmas with my family and friends. I don't know if it's yours. I do know that when it is, they're not going to ring the bell ahead of time to let you know. <laughs> We're all going to have a last supper. There's going to be something of our humanity there, there's going to be a little spark of the divine. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Live like you're dying because one day you'll be right. Amen.
Kathleen and I were thinking about a song that might capture the gratitude and the presence of the last time mindset. I think you guys will know this one. It's Thankful by Beth Hart.
Thank you for my life.